Welcome to Engaging ESG, the new podcast that considers what it takes to get ESG comms right and how it can go oh so wrong. From fears of greenwashing and systemic bias to the backlash against woke investing, the risk of getting ESG wrong can be high, but so can ignoring the concerns of employees, consumers, and our planet. I'm Jennifer Owens, former external content strategy lead for Meta Sustainability. And I'm Katie Callens, former head of sustainability engagement at Meta. In this 10-part series, we'll delve into the complexities of ESG communications by tackling your toughest inquiries. We'll explore the pitfalls and opportunities and share practical answers you and your team can use today as you navigate the evolving landscape of environmental, social, and governance topics. Let's get started. Welcome to episode four of Engaging ESG. We are going deeper and deeper into the elements of what makes a very strong ESG comm strategy. And if you're joining us for the first time, I encourage you to check out our earlier episodes. We've got a lot of good stuff, a lot of good insights. It's all right there and we're here to share. Yes. And today we're going to be talking all about partners. Thus far, we've really focused on, you know, the focus of an ESG strategy, prioritizing topics, how to make sure that you're reaching the right audiences. And one of those audiences that we thought deserved a deep dive were partners because, you know, they can play a really important role in not only establishing, but strengthening your ESG strategy, but they can also do things like verify your content and amplify your company's messaging and really do so with a lot of authenticity. So today we're going to be exploring the benefits and challenges and some best practices about working with external organizations to make a positive impact. And we're going to offer some strategies and anecdotes for vetting who to work with. Yes. So let's start right there because there are really so many freaking partners. I think that was one of the things that was so shocking to me when I got to Meta was like trying to track them all down. I I don't know that I ever actually succeeded. I mean, it's, it's an alphabet soup of uh, so many of them. And what I love is that all you smarty pants say all their acronyms <laughs> that I'd have to Google to who, who they all are. But you have the, the, the nonprofits, the advocacy groups. So like we were working with AdNet Zero, which is working on the advertising and marketing industries, emissions, carbon emissions, and what you're doing as an industry to bring it down as individual agencies. 1T.org, our net zero team was working with them. Then we had like research partners doing the climate opinion survey with the Yale program on climate change communication. We did the climate index, the opinion index. Now I can't remember the name with the social progress imperative. And that's just some of them. Yeah, definitely. And then there are specific kind of more collaborative groups that are designed to primarily bring together leaders on topics. And these are often when these topics are ones that maybe individual organizations are trying to tackle, but have identified that they're stronger together. Yeah. So some that come to mind are the Responsible Business Alliance for organizations that are strong in the supply chain space, the CE100, which is run by the MacArthur Foundation for companies trying to integrate more circular economy principles into their work, WEF or the World Economic Forum, UNGC, United Nations Global Compact. Those are both kind of like global and intergovernmental groups. And then, of course, we have rating agencies. So 
we did not want to list every partner <laughs> as an episode. Exactly. Where we knew we'd lose all the subscribers. <laughs> so this is just, you know, a very small number of potential partners just to give you all an understanding of the landscape, but it's really dependent on the company, the industry, and their goals. You've been doing this longer than I. Where does a company start? Like, especially we're looking here a lot at the sustainability ones. It's the same to holds true for diversity groups and the like. But where do you think a company starts when thinking, I want to be part of this organization or I need this partner? Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes people get really excited about a partner's announcement or maybe they've done a campaign and they think, oh, yes, I'm ready to work with them. Let's reach out. But actually, the organization is going to be a lot more interested in working with you if you have done your homework. Mm-hmm. And so what we think of as homework is really understanding how do you as an organization and this partnership organization both support and kind of collaborate on similar goals. It could be thought of a little bit like dating, right? Like where do you have similar shared interests? Yeah. Where do you have you know similar styles of communication? Love it. That's kind of a fun way to think about it. But so we're thinking and who's about picking up the tab, you know, who's what, picking what, up the tab. <laughs> exactly. If you are at a private company, they're going to be assuming that you are often picking up the tab, but they don't yeah. have insights into all your finances. And I can't tell you how many times we came to the table at, when I was at Meta or at Google and they would just like put down a crazy tab and they're oh, just yeah. like, oh, well, you're just this huge tech company and that has millions and billions of dollars. So like we can provide any level of proposal and, oh. you know, after you get over the initial shock, just kind of like taking a step back and and educating. And I think I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think that can be one of these important opportunities for kind of the two-way partnership is that a lot of the organizations we're talking about today have large corporate clients. But especially if you're working with a newer, let's say, NGO startup or a, just a newer partnership org, they might not fully understand the ins and outs of corporate partnership, that there Mm -hmm. are budgets that are of varying sizes and there's different kind of processes of working with. And that can be everything from like, we have less money than you thought to, and maybe the longest procurement process they've ever dealt with with any partner and that they might drop you. Not that you and I are speaking from experience. Not from experience at all. No, I would say other like in working in publishing, we never had money. Just never. Right. Like what we could. There's a thing that we that in the world of content where they'll say, well, we're giving you exposure. We're not going to pay you for your essay. We're going to give you exposure. And which, you know, everyone should get paid for their work. But that was kind of the argument we were making with any partner in publishing was to say we had the platform. We'll partner with you, but we'll be the media partner and do it for that because we um, we had less money than the underfunded department that you may have been working in in a large corporation. (laughs) Right. And so I think that's also an important thing about partnerships is thinking about when you come to the table with a partner, what do you have to offer them? Is it money? Is it uh, visibility? Uh, Is it an association with a brand? Really knowing like not only what do you want to get out of this partnership, but also what can you offer and really coming from that collaborative space. So just to back up a little bit and talk around specifics, who you engage with, we really believe is just as important as what you are engaging on. And this gets back to really understanding who are the right partners to amplify your ESG efforts 
that are really dependent on their expertise and their resources and their networks. And so just to get a little specific to clarify things, the Responsible Business Alliance is a really cool organization because they help a bunch of companies who all have the same supply chain issues speak with one voice. Mm -hmm. So let's say on sustainability and human rights issues. So let's say there's you know, we want to have one of our suppliers transition to renewable energy because that is part of our scope three. And let's say Meta has 10% of that supply chain. Apple has 10%. You know, everyone has little parts. And so one company just coming to that supplier in Asia saying, hey, like it's time for you to transition to renewable energy. We're going to help you get there. That's not a lot of leverage. But right. if you can have a consortium of, let's say, four to 10 companies that all represent the majority of that factory's supply chain, then you really have a lot more leverage, mm -hmm. which I think is such a cool and interesting idea. And so the RBA is always, I think, an interesting partner example because they're helping with setting standards around supply chain, sustainability, and human rights issues, but also they're helping the companies more effectively advocate for these broader ESG priorities. Right, right. And it has to come back to you knowing what those priorities are for your company. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll probably say this until we're blue in the face, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's, there's lots of great groups to engage with, but they are not great to engage with or even worth your time if they do not align to your specific ESG priorities and goals for your organization. So if you are not starting with a strong foundation of what those goals are mapped out, maybe even sketched on a napkin, yeah. <laughs> start somewhere then you can't really narrow down the right partners. Once right. again, similar to dating, you got to know who you're looking for <laughs> and like what, what their capacities are and even like where they're based regionally. Like let's say you're expanding your work into EMEA, for example. Right. Like, and that was one thing that we definitely talked about in Meta and other organizations is like, where are we getting a lot of customer inquiries? And maybe we don't fully understand the, like, you know, the host of issues. Definitely having people at your organization working on these topics is great. But if you can then also start partnering with organizations that can help you sense the topic yeah. areas or give you specific insights, that really helps. I'm just going to give two quick more examples and then I definitely yeah. want to hand it over to you, Jen. So I think the World Economic Forum or WEF is a really interesting partner because they provide a platform for public-private cooperation and mm -hmm. really can help companies shape sustainable business practices you know, BSR, Business for Social Responsibility, they do this too, which I think is interesting. And then you have kind of the UNGC, United Nations Global Compact, which is even more of kind of a governmental private-public partnership group. <laughs> the PPPs, Jeez. yeah. <laughs> which, which is a membership-based organization, right? So this is not a group that anyone can walk into willy-nilly and say, hey, UNGC, let's have coffee. They have, you know, a whole process for being a member. So offers. is that an arranged marriage or is that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm taking this one far too far. But there's just different, like, to become a member there, you have to kind of meet certain criteria. Yeah. So right. for the UNGC, you know, they offer a lot of guidance and principles for responsible business conduct. So I think, you know, the big thing just to be aware of when you're thinking about who to partner with is there is going to be likely a partner of any scale and any size for you to find depending on your ESG priority. But like a lot of other aspects of this work, it's really easy to try to boil the ocean. So yeah. really trying to think of what are your top three goals? 
How are you really trying to drive those? And what are one or two organizations that you can try to partner with? And of course, understanding how peers in the space have been doing that yeah. as well. Well, and then, then, so now you've gotten to the idea that it's, you're interested in dating. I'm going to love this metaphor. <laughs> and so you're going to want to vet them. You know, you're going to want to get to know them. You want to, you know, check out their friends, check out their, you know, their family and uh, before you make any real commitments to them. But it is true that you want to see what is their track record of the work that they're doing? Where have they shown up? What, like they can say on their website, these are, you know, all of our issues align. Yay. But what does that result in? And do you agree with that as from, especially from a comm standpoint, the way they communicate this previous work? So, you know, now then for me thinking comms, I'm immediately going to start asking questions about say, you know, the, the leadership has decided that this is the partner for us. Then I want to know, okay, so what are we announcing and when all the, the basics, but what are we expecting? Are they tagging us in things? Are they creating social media art? Are we going to like the social media? Is it going to fit with our branding? Like all these mechanics, because you want to be ready to go. If this is all centered around an announcement, you want to be ready to go. And then if it's more in, then it's maturing into some sort of long-term relationship. It's when are we going to show up as an entity in the work that they do and vice versa? Which is, they're pretty easy questions to get nailed down. They usually have their own comms people that you can kind of go off to a corner part of the party and talk and kind of get all this stuff squared away. But you kind of, that stuff is good to know ahead of time. So you are not surprised when they do something. Like if they're putting out a press release about a an announcement, you guys should get to see that before it goes live. That is not beyond the pale to ask for because they sometimes will use language that you don't agree with. And you may need to push back on that. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I certainly have. <laughs> Definitely. And I think this actually gets back to having really open conversations early on in the partnership yeah. as much as possible about like, what is the approval process on your company's side yes. for comms? I know that's something we definitely have struggled with in the past is a partner's really excited to make an announcement. And then we have a chain of 12 executives that yep. need to approve it before anything can go out. And then that impacts timeline and maybe it's part of a consortium. And so then there's other companies. And so we all have 12 layers of have 12 yeah. executives. And, you know, we love collaboration in, in uh, theory, but when it becomes like a six month approval process that can really potentially yeah. impact the project, you know, Jen, I'm thinking of things like with the Net Zero team where we had these great partnerships in place, work ready to go. But then because of all these different approvals and these different kind of matrix it takes organizations. Like three yeah. So, you know, one thing that I think you can do to try to get ahead of this before maybe you're at the finish line with those is to think to ask the organization like, hey, talk to me about how you've done like a multi-stakeholder press release. Yeah. How do you like engage with our colleagues? Like what's your typical timeline? How do you get stuff to us for approval? Like, and also from the perspective of kind of active listening, like what works best for your organization? And then as they're kind of describing their process of engagement, flagging for them of like where your company's process might be a little different or take a little right. longer. So they're not surprised. And it's, it comes, you know, this is really getting into the weeds, but if it's about like, if your leadership, there's going to be a quote in whatever words they're putting out, if it's a press release or a media alert or stuff like that, well, maybe we can work on getting that quote 
started earlier before even the release is done. You could do it in pieces so that when it comes back around and you say, this is the full release, but you've already signed off on the quote in it. There are things that we can do on our end to speed up the the comms part of these partnerships. Totally. And that also makes me think a little bit of back to our conversation about reports and comms in general, yeah. which is clearly these are partners we're talking about that build a lot of strategy and operational excellence, as well as communications. But I think really don't underestimate the power of getting, you know, leaders to comment or having these press releases or collaborative reports on your website to add legitimacy. It can take a lot of effort, but having your name next to some other peers on a collaborative consortium, for example, just adds to the weight and the leveling of your work because mm-hmm. it's not just you. It's also highlighting that you are part of this like industry change, which I think a lot of organizations that are prioritizing ESG want to be seen as. Yeah. And you're not necessarily having to like toot your own horn about that. For sure. Like that, because it would be, and also I'd like the, it's an opportunity to spotlight these partners because you do, no matter where you are and you're working in your company, you have a platform. And so to be able to put them on your platform with their approval, of course, but to be able to put them on your platform and tout these relationships is good for them too. So that is something you can offer as well. And I think it helps both sides. As you say, you know, negotiations should help both sides, right? You know, For sure. For sure. Yeah. And just kind of building on that, you know, some other ways that partners can play really a crucial role in shaping and communicating your ESG story is they can help you gather data and conduct Mm, assessments and provide guidance on best practices. This is also kind of like they can do some sensing that you just can't do as an organization about what's going on in the field. As we just noted, they can help strengthen credibility and demonstrate a commitment to transparency and accountability. Ideally, this is a two-way street. So they are also getting more recognition and accountability and credibility, especially when we're thinking about partnering with more like community-based organizations Mm -hmm. or like, you know, younger climate creators and the like, definitely trying to think about like, hey, you know, we're trying to lift up these voices. How do we do so in a way that definitely meets our ESG priorities and comms, but also really helps those that wouldn't be aided if they didn't have our platform or brand. So I think that's really, it's really important as you're noting, but yeah. And then, oh, go for it, Jen. They can try to come at you, you know, and try to force you into that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, it's true, you know, because we're just among friends here, but sometimes if we were talking about this before, they don't maybe know how your enterprise works or the fact that you do have a narrative message or they, you know, and this is what we stick with and this is how comfortable we are going all out. And personally, wouldn't we all love to say all things all the time, but we can't because we're representing a much larger entity. And so sometimes you will deal with pushback from a partner wanting to kind of force you into saying, saying something you don't want to say. And you just have to be, it's terrible, but be willing to walk. That's like buying a car. My my father would always say, you got to be ready to walk out of the room, you know, (laughs) if it got to that point, because this stuff is all it's wonderful when it works. Now there is these the times where I haven't been had the opportunity to have this happen, but ha- when a partner has something happen to them where their house crumbles, mm. you know, it 
it can pull your brand equity down a bit if you were part of the organization. I mean, God forbid that happens, but hopefully you've vetted and you've looked at it and that you've stuck with reputable organizations, partners that have peer companies that are part of it and kind of I always like to be a little bit of the edge, not the bleeding edge on these sort of partnerships. So I like to be a little protected. I don't know about you. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a partnership is, you know, you're moving into a contract. Usually you're moving into like a business Mm -hmm. relationship for that place and time. And it's totally plausible that there are things that will change. And yeah, leadership and changes, will, right? Leadership changes. I mean, there's definitely been times I've worked at companies where, like, you know, we had a partnership with an organization, and then based on some things that were happening more broadly on the platform, that organization said they no longer wanted to partner with us. That happens, wow. you know, like yeah. there are things like that that happen. And that's one of the unique challenges and opportunities I think of doing corporate sustainability in a large organization, like there's just a lot of stuff that's going to happen within the company that it's not always out of your control that will impact partnership relationships. But if the fit isn't there, don't be afraid to cut your losses and not necessarily have to stay in it. You're right. The partnership's a living thing. And so, yeah, don't be afraid to cut and and go because, yeah. Could you actually, one thing I wanted to ask about was this idea of kind of like shared content. Oh, you yeah. touched on this a little bit. Like, so just beyond organizations, you know, partners, as we know, can come from in the form of actual communications content and yeah. uh, platforms. I am a huge fan of this. And again, you vetted them, you make sure the, you know, the site is a fit and that the topics are right. But it's a concept of borrowing their audience. They've worked very hard to accumulate an audience. And so if you think about there are different ways it can happen. You could sponsor content, you know, you're renting space on their block, or you can have something syndicated where all the content that's on your site, they can pick and choose. That's usually the deal to put it on their site and vice versa. There is just pitching one-off thought leadership essays or, you know, interview with an expertise, but there's so many different ways to do it. And if you come at it with the idea of serving their reader and what would their audience love to hear about you or your experts' insights and the like, it's a really great way to borrow their audience and to get in front of a whole lot of people who aren't hanging out on your corporate website all the time. I know it's crazy. Why aren't you living on our website? At Meta, we have a great sponsored series with Triple Pundit, which is looking at all the ESG topics. So they're doing diversity. We were doing sticking in the sustainability space because that was our jam. But to have this ability to have, I think it was 11 articles. It was great. I almost thought of it as like our flagship store of being able to show you like uh, the breadth of the expertise that we had. But everything that we did, their writers wrote it and they would ask real questions. And then there were things we we could share and things we couldn't share, but everything that that was shared and it's up on the site now, you can check out that series, is a real story. And it's it's a partnership. It's a paid partnership, but it's it's to my mind, it's under the umbrella of partnerships. And these things work like the partnership we had with Green Biz. That's right. a great great opportunity that you were leading 
Yeah. So I think Green Biz is an interesting organization because they have a series of conferences that organizations have the opportunity to sponsor or speak at. And then they also have articles on their website. They have podcasts, they have webinars. So I think once again, to highlight what Jen was mentioning, you know, you will definitely get comms when you have announcements with a partner or big thing, but let's be honest, like how often are those happening? (laughs) And so if you want to really consistently get the word out about what you're doing and who you're working with, utilizing one of these paid partners to really kind of dive into the details. So it's not just all living on your website, but elevated through other platforms is a great option. It really is great. And then, you know, we're talking about creators. So there are creators in the diversity space, there's creators in the climate space, and they have a real impact on the conversation. I mean, we've certainly, we've seen it in big movements, Black Lives Matter, Me Too. We see it in climate and calling out companies. That's, you know, a lot of where the issues of greenwashing are first called out are with climate creators. But climate creators will want to work with you if you're being authentic with them. And so I think there are relationships to be had there. I I wouldn't fear it. I'd actually embrace it. And to do it, I'd say that you must honor the fact that they too, think of them like in the old days of having a magazine or a television station or, you know, old media, that they've worked hard to accumulate and attract an audience. And so they speak to that audience in their way and that they respect their audience and how they present information to them. So you're going to need to work with them on using their authenticity and their voice and honoring it because there's a lot of examples of companies that will say, hey, we want to talk to this certain group or that group, and they'll bring in a creator and then tell them how to speak. You know, like, well, this is the way our brand speaks. And it's like, well, now you've, you've lost before the race even began. So honor their, the work they've done, honor their audience, honor their approach. And I think there can be really fruitful partnerships in those areas as well. Definitely. Yeah. And as we just start to wrap up here, a couple more things I wanted to make sure we mentioned. So we've talked a bit about, you know, advocacy efforts with government bodies or uniting with peer companies to help drive systems change, because that's really what we need, right, for these larger questions around social impact, equity, climate change. Because if we can't get there through collaboration, how else are we going to get there for a company on itself? I want to note there's also kind of an increasing group of organizations that are helpful for partnering around internal engagement and internal comms. Mm. You know, there's a platform called WeSpire that helps with volunteering and education. There's an organization and platform called Climate Club that at Meta, we were one of the first to work with and was really great an, um, opportunity because we helped um, them kind of co-create a version of their app for us. And it was really focused on scope three reductions as it relates to employee engagement. Yeah, so it was both cool. an education platform as well as kind of an action platform We focused on food and waste in the offices and really thinking about how do we nudge people with the right information to take actions and then they could see it on a dashboard. And, you know, if you think about the meta population, they love a good data-driven dashboard. 
But so that was a really fun partnership because we had been using our internal tools. We have an internal Facebook called Workplace that we were utilizing for a lot of communications. But then we could bring in this partner who was getting us different degrees of data about employee action and also kind of serving up playbooks of information that had actually already been created by our Mm. culinary teams and our facilities teams because they're amazing, but didn't really have the right platform to reach our employees. And then with the Climate Club Hub, we were able to reach them. And so, you know, I think that's another fun example of thinking about, you know, what is the problem you're trying to solve? There's likely an organization out there that can help accelerate and align And if you stay really grounded in your priorities and an understanding, of course, of like your budget and all of that, then there's probably a solution out there. And we really recommend finding the right one. Totally. And that you're thinking long term. You know, I think that's what it is. Long term pro and con. Like if it turns out it's not a you can date other people. You can date around. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Make sure it's the, it's the right partner before you, you put a ring on it, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, for sure. As Beyonce would say. <laughs> As Beyonce would. I was waiting. I was like, when are we going to get a Beyonce reference into this podcast? You know, yeah. and here we go. Yeah, here we go. Four. Episode four. Market. <laughs> well, Market. okay. So next week, what's coming up next week? So next week we have one of our one of my favorite topics, which is employees. Oh, so we're yes. going to be talking about how companies can respond when employees ask tough questions about ESG strategy. And uh, so yeah, excited to deep dive into that because cannot think of a more diverse stakeholder base than employees because they have every job at the company. So it's a fun, tough thing to discuss. Ah, uh, well, until next week, keep engaging. Thank you for joining us on Engaging ESG. Have a question for us to consider or a strategy you'd like us to cover? Email us today at engagingesg at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Engaging ESG today. It helps us grow. And even better, be sure to share the podcast with your favorite sustainability, diversity, or social impact colleague. And until next time, keep engaging. Keep engaging.